can do and hope for yeah all right we're recording all right hello everybody welcome to the sporadic spooky show but hey you'll get an episode a week promise you that and we'll get better that's right just we've been busy harrison's at a show i'm doing vacations but anyway this is you just got a um i mean you just got a promotion so you've been Working more. I'm working. I'm a working girl. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, this is Spooky Show. Spooky Show in the History Universe, ever in life created and whatnot. I'm your host, Kate, and Harrison is here as well. That's correct. Wow. Beans is here, too. Right, Beanie? He being cute. Meow. Um, this is a bad one. Oh, good. This is a bad one. Love when it's miserable. Yeah. Apologies. Mm, actually, no. And also, though, this, this story I'm about to tell, this case, it was um, what Jennifer's body is loosely Oh, cool. That's pretty by. cool. It's cool. It's sad. But... Is it about a girl who eats boys? I wish. But no. That's not what happens. It's... The murder of Elise Marie Poller. Is this like a ritualistic sacrifice type thing? Yeah, I was going to say, if you've seen Jennifer's body, you can probably guess what's about to happen. But we'll get into it. So Elise Marie Poller was born on April 24th, 1980, Taurus Queen, uh, in Templeton, California. Her family consisted of her mom, Lisan. Okay. Her dad. Dave. We got Dave and Lisa in. Her little brother, Brian, and her two older sisters, Jenny Lee and Christine. She lived in Templeton until she was like nine, and then her family moved to Arroyo Grande, California. Elise, all throughout her school years, she was always described as lively. She did soccer. She did tennis. She did theater. I'd say, hey, now you're an all-star. Yeah. And she was always invited to all the parties. She could light up any room. She was very popular. She got along with everybody. Yes. Outside of school, though, she was also very religious. She was raised in the church. She was part of the church choir, um, the Bible study. Elise's mom was a stay-at-home mom, and her father did construction. And actually, her dad built the house that they lived in. In Arroyo Grande. And she had like a big, beautiful bedroom that he built her. And in this bedroom, she had like these amazing French doors in her room. So she, like she could have all these beautiful views of the town and yeah. whatever. But this also meant that people could get in from the street, right? Well, that and that she could sneak out if she wanted to, like very easily. Yeah. She's got these French doors. She's just like, bye. So, a royal... I always assume the worst. I know. I mean, as you should when... When you're driving. When I'm talking. So, a royal grande was... Like, it was pretty much a good... It was a good neighborhood. It wasn't the best, but... Yeah. It was overall safe. 
And at this time, though, the area in particular was kind of known for like an uproar of teen violence. Okay. Satanic panic, all that. At least tried to stay as far away from like, you know, those crowds of people as she could. She had big dreams to become an actress one day. But... Get in line, sweetheart. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> you and everyone else in this two-horse town. <laughs> but when she turned 15, she started to get in that rebellious stage, and she was like, I don't care about my dreams anymore. She started smoking weed. She was drinking, and she was sneaking out a lot, in particular to go to concerts. Her parents caught her in the act a couple of times. At one time, they got a call from her school saying she was like cl- clearly under the inf- influence of something, and she was being suspended. And after this, they put her in a substance abuse program, actually. And Elise was like not, she didn't like fight them. She still like really got along with her parents. She wasn't like fighting with them, and she yeah. didn't fight them on this. She was just like, oh, yeah, that might be best. Um, yeah, you're probably right. And they tried to talk to her about it, but she was pretty convincing that she was fine because she was still playing soccer, still getting along with her parents. She was still doing well in school. So when she told her parents, like, I'm fine, like, you know, nothing to worry about, they did believe her. They didn't think they had to worry, like, too much. Yeah. But yet she continued to sneak out. And on July 22nd, 1995, Elise, she was heading to bed after hanging out with her family and watching TV. She said, like, good night, I love you, before heading up. And then she packed her bed full of pillows to make it look like she was still there. And she headed out of those French doors in her room. The next morning, Dave and Lisa noticed she wasn't in her bed. And they got super worried because, like, she had snuck out before, but she always came back. She was always in her bed in the morning. So they went to the police and explained, you know, what was going on. And the police, they were concerned because this was a 15-year-old girl, but they were like, oh, it's probably a runaway. Like, she sinks out, like, all the time. But her parents were, like, pretty certain this wasn't the case because she had a lot to be excited about. Apparently, the family was going to move to a new town soon. I think mostly they were, like... She was looking forward to this? She was. She was super excited. Um, I think they were mostly trying to get her out of the school system and, like, get her in a new environment. But she was, like, excited to meet new people. And she was super close with her siblings. And she would, like, never just run out on them. So eventually, when news spread that Elise was missing, tips came pouring in. And there was one tip in particular that just came in a lot. And many were saying that they saw Elise in South San, Lu- South San Luis Obispo. So they would do, like, a lot of searches out there. But nothing would come up out of that. But, like, sadly, it was giving the family, like, so much hope. Like, all these tips and theories were going around. Like, you know, it must have been so hard for them to be yeah. disappointed every time it turned out not to be legit. Because, like, for all they know, she could have been a runaway. Yes, true. So they still had hope. Weeks and months went by, and there was no sign of Elise other than That's these... pretty crazy. Weeks and months. Yeah. And there was no sign of her other than these tips. But then almost nine months later... A teenager named Royce Casey, who's 16, walks into the police station and confesses to Elisa's murder. He tells them everything that happened, exactly where she was, and eventually, like, led them to her body. So he told them 
about the other two teens, 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 <laughs> that were involved in this crime along with him. It was 15-year-old Jacob Delishmutt and 14-year-old Joseph Fiorella. Literally 16, 15, and 14-year-old boys. <sighs> so these three were known as, like, the misfits of the school, I guess. They had their own rock band. They did a lot of drugs. They wore a lot of dark clothes. They were, like, the bad boys. Joe and Jacob actually went to the same school as Elise, and Royce had gone there previously, but he got kicked out for bad behavior, so he was sent to a different school. And so, like I said, they had this rock band, and it was named, it was called Hatred. Hell of a name, <laughs> and hell of a they, name. They would perform at random house parties, and like a lot of testimonies from people who have seen them live said that they were terrible. They were a bad kind of loud. And one of their biggest influences was the band Slayer. So a lot of their music was inspired by them. Here are some of the song titles of Hatred, so you can get a sense of what they were kind of putting out there. One's called Homicidal. Homicidal Maniac. Homicidal. Slice Her Flesh to Threads. Oh, okay. uh, Lift the Gleaming Blade. And watch the blood flow free. Okay, so the thing that I'll I'll say about this is that like this gets into really complicated this like particular issue of like artists like being liable for the stuff they say in songs gets Just really dubious because right now they're trying to prosecute like Young Thug and Gunna and a bunch mm-hmm. of these rappers on charges related to things that they said in their music, which, like, you know, I don't really know if you can do. And then I read another case about an artist in New York City who, like, was openly in his music describing crimes that he was doing and have been reported. Like, he was, like, this, like, goofy, weird white kid that was, like, raping teens and, like talking about it in his music and the people who like were the victims were like yo it's right in the fucking music he's saying it describing exactly the situation perfectly and like it's tricky yet they won't prosecute him but they'll prosecute you know these the federally prosecute these rappers for the stuff they say so it's like it's like every other fucking law in this country yeah. gets disproportionately used against black people and well, this does that comes up in this, of course. Of course, you could probably. You, I mean, I you mean, it should it. be a law that you can't prosecute people for stuff they say in songs. I really do believe that. Like, yeah, we could talk about it more when yeah. I get there because I yeah, can tell yeah. you why. How just details. So, they were also very. The three boys were also very interested interested in Satanism. They were self proclaimed members of Satan's church. They all even ordered cards on the internet for $100 each. But also, to... Satan's church is like a different thing in the U.S. Like, it's not... Like, the Church of Satanism is a political group. Yeah. But this, this is what they said. This is right, what they right, claimed. Right, right, right. They bought these cards to prove their allegiance. They were, like, card-carrying members of the Church of Satan. And they would tend to gather at this place known as the Pipe of Death. Or some shit, and it was like a drainage pipe that they would hang out in or around. And it was called that because a boy actually, like, died there once. 
Oh. The three boys also had this weird, like, internet subscription, because, you know, the internet was, like, fairly new back in 1995. Right. And they would, like, monthly get a bunch of ritualistic materials, like satanic books and knives for rituals and spells. And they would look up online, like, how to perform specific rituals. So they were just young, didn't really know how the internet worked back then. Like, maybe they didn't know that this was probably just all, like, random people just making up rituals and spells. So 14-year-old Joe played the drums. And a lot of people say that Joe was more of the, like, I don't know, ladies' man, but... I don't even want to say that because not really. He would kind of just like force himself on girls and he would like find a girl he was attracted to and then like obsess over her and stalk her around town obsessively until he lost interest and just moved on to the next girl he wanted to stalk. But he was also the ringleader of the group, which is weird because he's the youngest. But yeah. Now, as for 15-year-old Jacob, his family is very similar to Elisa's family. They were very religious. They were Mormons. And apparently his brother was a missionary. So the fact that Jacob was, like, playing this type of music around and, like, doing all of these drugs made his parents panic. So they sent him to the Mariposa Recovery Center because he wasn't just smoking weed. Like, all three of these boys, they were doing meth. You know, they were doing LSD, of course. They were doing speed. Jesus. Yeah. So one day at the recovery center, he's in, like, a support group, and to his surprise, Elise walks in, since her parents put her in that recovery center, and Elise, like, kind of knew about Jacob from school and knew about his reputation, but they weren't really, like, friends by any means. But seeing him in the support group, she was, like, you know, she felt a little sympathy for him and was kind of touched that it seemed like, you know, he was trying to be a better person. Yeah. And, Typical male manipulator shit. <laughs> they never really talked in this recovery center. He's really trying. <laughs> but, like, uh, Jacob definitely kept his eye on Elise, and he would frequently, like, talk about her to his friends and family, which was kind of weird because they never actually talked in there. But jumping back to all three of the boys for a second, like I said, they would, they would go online, they would look up specific rituals, and they would participate in forums. And in particular, they became obsessed with the idea of sacrificing a virgin. They would okay. they'd talk about it so much and so often, and it almost became like the talk of the town. Like, people started to speculate that maybe they, like, did kill a virgin, like... Yeah, I mean, weird. I guess you say something enough, people will start to think Yeah, it's and true. then the rumors and whatever. So, Joe was more so obsessed with this idea, more than any of the other two boys, and Joe also did, he specifically did this ritual all the time where he would catch a frog and crucify it, like Jesus was crucified on the cross, and then you would cook it and eat it. And after you eat it, you're supposed to feel, like, the effects of, like, the spiritual power, and he was doing this a ton with these frogs. Oh, God. But... He wanted more power. So that's where this idea of sacrificing a virgin comes in. And one of the reasons he wanted more power and why he wanted to do this was because he wanted to be famous. He wanted his band to be huge. And Joe told his friends about this, and he was like, we need to step it up from the frogs if we want to become famous. <clears throat> we Which, need to move on to, like, small animals. No, sacrificing a virgin. 
But they want to move on from the smaller animals. Oh, yes. And then naturally yes. the progression is usually like yeah. deer or but, dog. And they're like, we're just going to jump right to, uh, right to a virgin. But that's literally Jennifer's body. Like, yeah, I know. It is literally Jennifer's body. Yeah. Right? Adam Brody. Adam Brody. So Joe started chatting in forums and asking people like what they what materials they needed and what they needed to do to sacrifice a virgin to become famous. And here's what they learned. They had to find the perfect virgin with blonde hair and blue eyes, which was just preferable. And Joe was like, oh, I know who we can pick. Elise. He kind of went through like an obsessive phase with her and thought she was perfect. And he also said she would be, quote, the ultimate sin against God and get them their, quote, ticket to hell. So they also thought she was an easy target because she kind of knew Jacob. And And he knew she was like a runaway, right? In the past. She, not a runaway. She would like, sneak she out would and go home. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, she, she, like, Jacob knew she was in this, like, going oh, out. Oh, I'm conflating scene. it with the beginning of the story where you told, said that she went missing for several Right. Days. And people thought she, she was yes, runaway. Yes, no. Yes. But, like, Jacob knew that she was in the scene of, like, going out and he knew that she smokes weed and that she, you know, would sneak out and party. So Joe was going on and on with this plan. And surprisingly, Jacob, who was like, you know, he was kind of into Elise after like being with her at the recovery center. He thought it was a great idea. He was like, yes, let's do it. Royce, on the other hand, wasn't too on board, but I guess he didn't really say anything because peer pressure. So now they have to devise a plan to get Elise alone. So first, since Joe and Jacob went to her school, they would literally just stalk her to find out her schedule. And Joe just became more and more obsessed with her. And he would, like, follow her home sometimes. So, obviously, they got wind that she, like, smoked weed, especially because Jacob knew that. And she had a reputation for hanging out with older guys who would smoke her up for free. So, that's what Jacob told Joe. And so they started inviting her out to smoke with them at the pipe of death every now and then. And she would go. It was, like, occasional, you know. And then when she would leave, they would literally, they would just talk about how they were going to kill her. They would just, like, talk about their plans. So the day before she went missing, Elise was at a friend's house with a bunch of other people, and Jacob was there. So he told her that he got some really good weed and acid and that they should do it together, and she agreed. So the next night, he called her two times to invite her out, told her where to meet, and that's the night she told her parents she loved them and stuffed her bed with pillows and disappeared. So when she snuck out, she was wearing a sweater, sweatpants, and flip-flops, so she obviously, you know, she was going to smoke a little weed and come back. Like, she wasn't planning on partying by her wardrobe. The boys and Elise walked out into this, like, foresty grove area that the boys called an altar for Satan, and it was about a quarter mile away from Elise's house. They just, like, sat on a bench and started to smoke a little bit, and when Elise clearly, you know, got a little high, that's when the boys lifted her up by her hair and threw her on her back. So Jacob came up behind her with his belt and choked her with it while Royce held her down. Joe was the first to stab her with the ritual knife that they got in, like, 
that weird monthly internet subscription thing, and he stabbed her directly in the throat. Then the three of them took turns passing the knife around and stabbing her in the throat. Okay. Royce later told the police that, this is so sad, that she continually continually called out for her mom. Oh. I know. That is fucking gutting. And prayed the whole time. So she was stabbed a total of 12 times. And when they felt like Elise wasn't, like, dying quickly enough, they stomped on her neck. When this is um trigger warning right here, when they were finally sure that she was dead, they defiled her corpse. Ew. And there's also evidence to suggest that they came back on multiple occasions to do it again, like days after. That is so fucked up. Like, of corpse has been sitting there. They were. Well, yeah, they kept going back to it. So days and months after killing Elise as well, like, Royce Casey stopped hanging out with Jacob and Joe, and he found religion after all of this. He would often go to Elise's body and just cry over it. He said he was having visions and flashbacks of Elise, and apparently the day he confessed, he saw, like, a missing poster of Elise, and that's when he decided to go to the police. So he was also, like, super paranoid that Joe and Jacob were going to, like, come for him next because those two were perfectly fine. And Royce was kind of trying to leave the group. He was like, I found religion. I don't want to deal with this anymore. But there was a Slayer lyric that they loved, and it was like, if you're not with us, you've ceased to exist or something. So he thought that, like, they were going to try to kill him. So it was March 13th, 1996, when he actually went to the police to tell them everything. How much later is that? Eight months. Okay. He took them to her body, which had been there, like I said, for eight months now. And it was badly decomposed, but a pathologist could confirm that none of her wounds were fatal. And she actually died from bleeding out. So Jacob and Joe were arrested right after Royce. And had been interrogated. And weirdly, they just, like, all pretty much admitted it right away. Though Joe and Jacob kind of put the blames on each other. And Royce was kind of putting the blames on them, too. But, like, eventually Joe admitted, too, that he was the one who had the idea in the first place. And he said that. But he said, like, everyone was equally willing and ready to do this. and Which is true. Mm-hmm. So they were quick, very quickly. Uh, tried and sentenced and this was to what this was like a very straightforward trial luckily because the three of them pled guilty so they didn't have like a jury trial or anything so all three of them were sentenced to 25 years to life in prison wow all three they went to different detention centers around california they were minors god they were minors you know and they're still in jail now i'm sure yeah they do have chances for parole though because they were so young. Or have they come up? Yeah, they did. And I guess it didn't work. No. They didn't book parole? Well, it was supposed to happen in 2020, and I couldn't figure out if it did because, like, of COVID and everything. Yeah. So so they do... That's scary. Yeah. They're, like, about to get released back on the streets, probably. Maybe. 25 years to life. So... I mean, how long have they been in there now? It was 95. 95. Okay. So they... Yeah, I know. Yeah, 
They're coming up on 25 years. That's fucking scary as shit. While at the trial, the three boys said that the Slayer music made them do it. Oh, yeah, of course. Just like they said that Columbine was because of Manson and all that shit. Yeah. So, obviously, it was, you know, probably... Oh, my God. It was probably just a way out, but... I didn't know about the Slayer trial. Is is Tipper Gore about to be involved in this story at Mm -hmm. all? Because this is right around the adventation of the parental advisory sticker, which I think is 97? Yeah. And that was because of Tipper Gore saying that song lyrics were corrupting the youth. Well, I gotta look. Let me look that up while you. I mean, they were pro. So they were probably saying all this stuff just to get, you know, lesser sentencing. But regardless, Elise's family ended up filing two lawsuits one against the band Slayer itself, and one against the record label for unlawfully marketing and distributing harmful and obscene products to minors. Huh. But, yeah, satanic panic was going on and everything, but they just felt like the songs kind of gave instructions on how to kill and, like, put the ideas in their head. You know the drill. But both lawsuits were, like, against the band were thrown out because they were protected by the First Amendment. Yeah. So, and, you I mean, well, but right now there is a law that is, like, they're trying to pass in New York State, I believe, to make it so you can legally prosecute people for stuff they say in songs and not give them free speech, which is fucking insane. That is insane. There's yeah, so because many people like, who wh- listen to Slayer and do not kill people. Dude, it's just like video games. It's like anytime yeah. that, like, it was so crazy to hear, like, in 2018 or 19 when Trump was, like, talking about, like, it's actually video games like Dune. Like, Doom, that's fucking causing people to be violent. Anytime it's like pieces of art are causing people to do crime is so insane. Yeah. It's like weak minded. It's stupid. So, I mean, I can't blame the parents for filing lawsuits. Like, I don't know. They they were trying to. They were trying to understand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I can see how their mind would go there too if they have nothing else to like grasp. I mean, I guess it's also a little bit like, you know, I'm sure that a lot of kids, this is going to be, I'm getting into dicey territory here, but I'm sure that a lot of kids in like the 2000s, I mean, it's hard to, I feel like it'd be hard to argue that the like wave of self-harm that came about in the late 2000s was probably related to a lot of emo music talking about Mm self-harm, you know, like. I would have never known what cutting your wrist is until I listened to, like, Fall Out Boy, you know, or, like, Hawthorne Heights. Now, granted, like, I wasn't affected by that, but plenty of people were, you know? Yeah. But again, do I think we should prosecute those people who wrote that? Fuck no. Um, and also, like, the parents are hearing these boys say, the band made us do it, so maybe they're, like, you know. Well, actually, like, yeah, my beautiful boy, my beautiful little Timmy would never no. fucking... Elisa's parents, the parents of the victims. Oh, 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 oh. So yeah, okay. they were probably hearing them say this, and they're like, "Oh, it's their fault." Like, yeah, I don't know. I you can't. Blame That's the insane. Victims. Part of me was like, "You can't blame the victims' parents." Yeah, part like, of me is like, I guess it would make sense if the perpetrators' parents were like, "Oh, like they got like mind controlled by this music. These are not our kids, or whatever." But yeah, the other family, it's like, just go after the boys. Like the boys are who did the crime. Yeah. 
I don't know. Maybe they felt like because they were already caught, they just, like, needed to do something else. Like, they weren't satisfied. I don't know. But to end on a sad note, too, the parents, like, they didn't do well afterwards. Like, for obvious reasons. But they got told they were going to get restitution money, and they never did. And they ended up having to go on welfare because... Oh, my God. They had such bad PTSD, and they, like, lost their jobs. That is so tragic. Yeah. And they had, like, three other kids. Those poor other kids are probably fucked up for life from that. hmm Yeah, because it's just, like, terrible. It's terrible murder. It's a terrible story. God damn. Yeah. Well, that was fucking depressing. It's life. It's it happened. That's like, life in the spooky lane. It's someone's story. It is. Do you ever think about um, the impact on the victims' families on of hearing these stories get told? You know, because like I saw someone on TikTok the other day. Not to get into a large existential true crime thing, mm-hmm. but I saw some someone on TikTok being like, "I fucking hate." That my family's trauma is the number one trending thing on Netflix Mm -hmm. right now. And it's like, where is the lines between, like, sharing stories and relitigating trauma? You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's all in how you responsibly tell the story. And, like, you know, we don't profit off this show. And, like, a lot of people don't Yeah, that's what I was... Like, I definitely think it's, like, a problem. Like, I fully think... I do think it's weird that people profit off of that. Do you think that, like, my favorite murder and stuff like that, they should be profiting off of this kind of stuff? Well, I... Listen, I love... I mean, again, I don't want to get into the kind of, like, existential... The thing is, first of all, like, the show title is a big problem, um, for one. But they also have made it, like, perfectly clear throughout their episodes that they don't come to them for the facts. They're just telling a story. Like, they don't do thorough research, really, or anything. So... That's... Yeah, and like I always said, and that's why I don't really like put out like I can put ads in the show, but I don't really because we also try not to editorialize too much either. Yeah, one, I don't think it makes a good listener experience, and two, like I don't, I personally think it's really rude and weird when you're like talking about a story like this, and then all of a sudden there's an ad for like Madison Reed hair dye. Yeah, or like. <clears throat> Casper mattress, like yeah, to have and the best night. They these people couldn't have a good night's sleep ever again after this. But you could have a great night's sleep on yeah, a big beautiful Casper mattress. Now type code bloody knife into there for twenty percent off your seven thousand dollar bed. Right. So it, that's always been weird to me. So I think that like it is weird and it's a problem, and that's why we like I personally and we do we like take the meaningful steps to make sure it isn't weird and like you know not no of course i mean in. i wasn't talking about this show specifically i was just more no but i had like, never really thought about too. how much no it's weird it would impact the families of these things and that your stories become pop culture fodder but sometimes it's it's different for every person too because sure. some people right. are like yeah like you know i want my daughter or whoever story told like, I don't want her to just fade away. And, you know, I don't know, something terrible happened. And people need to know that there's people out there, like, that exist. I don't know. No, I agree with you. But I agree with you. You're right. You're right. There are right. some people who are like, yeah, like, 
you're literally profiting off of this well, tragedy. Right, and I don't think there's any, like, right or wrong answer. It just was an interesting thing that really mm-hmm. had not occurred to me, which seems insane. I'm surprised insane. it hasn't. That's, like, my biggest, you know, well, thing. I mean, it definitely I... has occurred to me, but I've never seen it. Like, you know, you think about it in the abstract, and then when you see a family be, like, on TikTok, like, yo, I mm-hmm. literally got on a plane and to press the seat back, like, video screen, and I'm fucking traumatized about my sister's murder again. Like, yeah, you know, like, that's... I know. It's I mean, it's. Tricky. I think it's probably a broader conversation about the way that we, as a society, deal with traumatic stuff, which is that everything's kind of just a story, you know. Like, yeah, in American popular culture, like the biggest stories of all time have been the most scandalous ones, you know, the murders, the suicides, the. Yep. You know, I was just re- remembering, which we should do an episode on eventually, the Chris Benoit saga. Do you mm-hmm. know about that? Yeah. You wanted me to do that for a long time. It's because it's a fucking crazy story, and it fucked Why me and my sister up so hard. Why don't you put it together when I when I have my surgery? Okay. Just do one. I'll do one. I said I would do one. I said yeah. I'd do one any week. Do you need me to do one for you? Start start preparing if you want to do it. It's a fucking great story. Yeah. And they were gonna make a movie out of it, and then. I want to say his second wife's family stopped it. You want to know what's crazy, too? Some podcasts, and I won't name names, have had victims' families, like, come up to them or, like, comment on stuff and whatever, and they would, like, fight back. No, yeah. I mean, well, number one, you should never... You really don't... You really should not no, if that answer happened, criticism. Like, you can take it and, like, allow it to be go through you, but in terms of, like, responding... To criticism, you just, sh- it's a bad thing to do. It's a bad look. I mean, if it that sucks. ever happened on this show, I would literally be like, I am so, so, so sorry. Like, it's going down right now. If yeah, we I'll just made- delete the episode, yeah. right? Yeah. If we made money on this podcast, I'd be like, here it is. Like, <laughs> you can take it. But, like, we don't, obviously, we're not profiting off of No, no, no. Anything. We're not making money so, off this. Yeah. This I don't is- even think we made money off the fucking t-shirts when we sold t-shirts, which also, go buy some. They're still up, right? We did make money. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. That's pretty much the only hey, you know, if you want some income merch, we have. Buy that. From merch. this. And buy just that. to be completely candid, because it's not weird, really. But um, yeah. Anyway, nice little tangent. Yeah, it just was a question I had from a TikTok I saw that made me, you know, really think about like where the lines are morally in in covering these kind of things. Yes, I think about it often. And I will so. say, I think Don't that worry, you're it's very on my respectful. Mind. You're very respectful in that everything is pretty fact-based, and you've been open to when we've when we've been given fact, uh, we've been given alternative um, information to the information we had. You've done your due diligence of of researching and fact-checking it, and so yeah. I mean, I certainly don't think this show, unlike. Some of the other spooky shows or true crime shows that are comedy based, you know, mm-hmm. I think, I, you know, I don't think you have anything to worry about, you know. I mean, we definitely like to have fun on the less serious ones, so. Yeah, we definitely but, also like to have fun during the episodes, but it's not like yeah. we're joking about the murders. Oh, you know? absolutely not. Absolutely But, like, there's a lot of those not. ones that are kind of built off of that, right? Like, I mean, last podcast on the left, <laughs> not to speak I just hate on another men-based podcast. podcast. Um. But no, like men-based podcast. My my favorite murder introduces themselves as a true crime comedy podcast. That's crazy. Yeah, there's nothing funny about this shit. Yeah. Anyway, sorry for leading us down that existential kind of hole. Beans, 
Bean says you done, Mama. All right. Follow the show on Instagram at Spooky Show Pod and rate and review on Apple Podcasts, please. And thank you. Listen to Baseball Hat. <laughs> and have the best week of your entire life. Bye. Bye. Bye.